it's my understanding that it's somebody's birthday today or real soon. Josie's? Josie's birthday. Yay! I think she's 42? Something like that? <laughs> Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're going to pick back up, back up a little bit, way of introduction, verse 81, and then move forward from there as we plow through the longest chapter in the Bible. But it has to do with God's Word and it's just peppered with so many blessings, it's worth time doing diligence in it. Now, in this chapter, the Psalms, well, so many times when we were studying the book of Psalms, especially the first portion of it, we saw how practical it was. It was King David's writings, and a lot of the writings there could be equated to what we see in in 1st and 2nd Samuel and the events of David's life how when he was hiding from Saul, just how that affected him, and really his heart in all of those matters, and we can take that and we can equate it to our lives and our hearts as we're going through difficult days and hard times as well. What we have seen so far in chapter 119 is a series of reflections of the nature of God's word and the righteous person's proper response to that. And again, it fits in so many different situations and circumstances of all of our lives. Last week, the psalmist seems to join some personal affliction with the ministering capabilities of God's Word and how God's Word meets him in the hard times and the difficult days of his life. And so, looking again at his description of his condition that his affliction has taken him to, he decided to back up, and we're going to see how God meets him in the midst of it. There's a turning point there, and he, God just brings him to that place of joy. Just keep in mind, an affliction, affliction just simply means to be bent over by some sort of heavy weight. It could be something heavy that is upon your mind or upon your heart. It could be some physical difficulty that has occurred. It could be just one of those things that, well, sometimes we just become blue. Sometimes we just become even depressed. There's times in the scriptures that you're reading them and you think, King David, he seems to be depressed. And even in David's psalm, so many times there's some difficulty going on, some affliction going on. And David seems to be in despair. There's the turning to God, and the psalm ends with God meeting him there. And so we see here the psalmist. Again, we do not know who the author is of Psalm 119. Most commentators believe it is King David, but since the Bible's silent on that, we will as well. But the psalmist here is in need of revival because look at verse 81. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Now, salvation is not eternal salvation here. The salvation that he is seeking is just that God would save him from a situation, circumstance, or or more than likely here, from an enemy of some sort. He's asking for deliverance from his affliction because it's really starting to get to him personally. Again, those times when we're overwhelmed by some outside weight that is lifted upon us. And again, you can be depressed, you can be unmotivated, you can just have that mindset of of what's going on. And Lord, I just need you to meet me in the midst of this that I would be able to overcome. And even, you know, maybe it's an attack by your worst enemy. And your worst enemy 
The worst enemy is not the devil, it's not the world, and it's not so much the flesh. It's just simply yourself. And sometimes the things can even be, well, these attacks can even come from a perceived source. Just something that we've allowed our minds to wander, or we allowed a situation to grow bigger than it really is, and all of a sudden you've got this big roadblock in front of us, or this big big frightful situation in front of us that doesn't even either really exist or it's not as big as it seems, big and bad as it seems. But have you ever been in a mood that you just simply need rescuing from? It's okay for a Christian to admit it because, well, we do. We all get down. We all become depressed or unmotivated or whatever it might be because we'd allow situations and circumstances to grow bigger than our God. Now, never are they bigger than our God, but again, in our mind, we've allowed them to grow that big. And again, probably the best example of overcoming this is how David overcame Goliath. David overcame Goliath because he understood the magnitude of his God versus the magnitude of his enemy. And so the psalmist, he hopes, trusting in the future, he hopes in God's word. But it's really almost here a comment or a commitment to remember and to remind himself of who God is and all that God has done. Now remember, God has overcome the greatest obstacle in your life that will ever exist, your sinful nature. He has delivered you from your sinful nature. You have freedom in Christ. And God, well, there's so many reasons in this room why God has saved all of the people in this room are watching on the internet. But I know one of the reasons that God has saved me is to bring me unto himself for all of eternity. He did not save me to destroy me. He did not save me to cast me off. Again, God inhabits eternity, so he knew the course of my life. And even then, yet while I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly, or Christ, he saved me. He brought me in to his family. And so the psalmist, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word, verse 82, my eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? This, ever look into the Bible in an affliction and wonder how much longer? I mean, maybe it's a sickness. How much longer, Lord? Is this going to go on forever? A financial situation, a relationship situation. I remember the Lord did a huge work in my life and my wife's life and really my children's lives, maybe unknowingly to my children. They were young at the time. But it was all in the conversion from being an electrical contractor to come into the ministry. I didn't know what was going on. God started this work before ministry was even a reality before me. But he started to reduce my, my business as an electrician because he wanted to increase over here. And all of a sudden, this business that was so profitable started to go upside down. And there's this huge affliction. And what God was teaching us was to survive on a little. He was teaching us dependency upon him. But he didn't give me the, the list and tell me everything that he was doing at that time. And again, these are the things that go deep within our lives. And so I remember telling somebody, probably was no more mature than I was about the situation. He says, well, read the book of Job. And I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll read the book of Job. And by the time I get to the end of the book of Job, it'll be over. Because that's kind of how it worked for Job. But it didn't work that way for me. And again, it was how much longer. 
I'm thinking, is this going to go on for another year? I can't wait till a year is off and this is behind me. Then we're getting into the next year. And God was doing a very deep and intense work. And deep and intense takes time. And God's working out his plan, not just in me, in you and all as well. doesn't matter what your calling is. God's constantly working out his plan. Psalm 13, verse 2, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Again, his comment seems to suggest a running out of patience. How much longer, Lord? How much longer is this going to go on? How much? Or how long do I have to do this? Yeah, my husband, this, my husband. Yeah, but you need to submit to his leadership. And, and I've had people tell me, well, I've tried that. It doesn't say anything here about trying God. It doesn't say anything here about trying his commandments. It speaks of perseverance and doing those things. And that's where the blessings come from. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, I did that. Well, you, it's not about didding that, it's about doing that and constantly doing that. Pray, pray I prayed, or, or read your Bible, I've read my Bible. And again, these mindsets we can have when we're in the midst of this trial and somebody tells us something and we use it kind of as a remedy. I'll do it once before I go to bed and I'll call the doctor or the pastor in the morning and then it'll all be better. Well, it just doesn't work that way. God's wanting complete lifestyle changes from us. And those, as I said earlier, they takes time, it takes patience, but again, it takes perseverance. In every affliction, there are always two timetables, yours and God's. Guess which one is going to take precedence over the other? How long is it going to take? Just as long is as necessary. And sometimes is as necessary can even be years. But the work God does is holy. The work God does is that which works for your change for holiness. And the work that God does is to reach others, to use you, to make you useful in his hand. And so God, when he does these things, he seeks to go deep, so he brings you into deep things. Again, anything that's going to change your life is going to be all-encompassing. It's going to be, well, when somebody has a heart attack, they get the defibrillator and boom, they give them that shock. And sometimes we need that defibrillation in our life for God's reasons and God's purposes. Secondly, the psalmist is in need of restoration because look at verse 83. For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. A wineskin in smoke He's becoming smelly. He's becoming polluted. He's becoming dried out. And again, you can just see how all-encompassing this situation is. And again, it's wearing on him physically. It's wearing on him emotionally. And he just feels like this wineskin that should be pliable and this wineskin that should be vibrant. He feels anything but that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And the fragrance of Christ is truly released. Well, my wife brought one of her carnations inside. Carnation, right? Gardenia. I knew it was one of those kinds of flowers. She couldn't grow gardenias forever, and then Scott, the... Uh, the gardener over there told her, just take some coffee and pour coffee on it every week because it likes acid. 
And she does. And now we've got all these gardenias. And the beauty of it is, is that when we open the window where they're at, you can smell them. But you brought one in the other day. And if you crush it a little bit, it gives off the smell. And it's a beautiful smell. And sometimes God's going to allow us, not crushed, but to be squeezed. And what happens then? We give off the fragrance of Christ. Because just as truly as Christ was afflicted and we saw the nature of his, or the magnitude of his love and the nature of who he is as we go through these afflictions, it's the same way in our lives. Now he needs to vent a little bit. Look at it, verse 84. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? How many, Lord, I'm not going to live forever here. How long is this going to go on? Again, verse 84 is the first verse that we have come to in Psalm 119 that does not mention the word of God, does not make mention of it as the word, commandment, precept, so on and so forth. And so again, Lord, I'm not going to live forever. When are you going to move within my life? So here, his eyes are completely off of God. He's not concerned what God is doing or the work that God is trying to bring about. As all he wants is the affliction to go away. We saw that in our study in James in chapter 1 when it came to temptation. Temptation, that easy way out of a trial, but the problem is you don't get out of it what God desires for you to get out of it. Consider that next time you're going through a trial and you're going through a hardship. What is it that God has for me here? What is it that God wants of me? It's still going to be hard, there's no doubt about it, because it's not a trial unless it's hard. But as you're going through it, seek to see what God has for you. Don't take your eyes off the Lord. Keep your eyes upon him, again, through fellowship, prayer, and his word, and he will reveal what he desires to reveal to you. So now notice there seems to be a turning point after this. It seems like he's kind of hit rock bottom in verse 84. But then in verses 85 through 88, the proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. He was thinking, okay, so these people who are against me, they're not of the Lord. And if God is for me, who can really be against me? Verse 86, all of your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongly help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. He looks to the evilness of man, but it's the goodness of God which really stands out. Afraid of man or a fear of God, whichever it is that you fear the most will fill you the most. Whatever it is that fills you will control you. And so if you're afraid of man more than you fear God, then your fear of man will be that which controls you. But if your fear of the Lord supersedes being afraid of mankind, then the fear of the Lord will control you, will guide you, and will direct you. In the scriptures, we're not going to get into a study on the fear of the Lord, but in the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord produces patience, but it also produces effort. The fear of the Lord is usually connected with serving God somehow in some way, which makes sense. If I'm filled with the fear of God, the respect of God, then I'm going to be obedient to my Lord, and I'm going to serve my Lord and prayerfully be a blessing to my Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, understanding how God has been with me, every step of the way, not knowing that the goodness of God leads me to repentance. And so change needed in my life, the goodness of God, 
Well, all things are working together for the good, so all things are working towards the understanding of where I'm off with my relationship with the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's these big serious sins. I mean, all sins are serious, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I've just gone down the wrong way. Sometimes I'm just missing the mark, and I need to be brought back where I need to be brought back to. If we are not keeping God's word, who is? And how much more in times of affliction? Again, the world's not going to keep God's word. We must keep God's word because it's God's word that's going to work impact, not just in our lives, but in our lives and through the lives, into the lives of others. The keeping of God's word is contagious because as you keep it and as people see you're blessed, doesn't mean that, they don't, that they're going to see you not go through trials anymore, but you're going to be blessed in the midst of trials. You're going to have strength in the midst of trials that they would seek the Lord as well. Verses 89 through 91. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. He's reminded of the permanence of God's word. Your word is settled in heaven. We're told in Jude 3 that this was delivered once and for all. One time for all the saints. Nothing else is necessary. Nothing needs to be added. This is completely sufficient for a life dedicated to Jesus Christ. And because of that, I have everything that is necessary for that right relationship. Everything that I need for holiness is contained here in this word. Even the psalmist that is writing Psalm 119 and this dedication and the beauty of God's word and how it's applicable to our lives, he didn't even have the New Testament. How much more so that we have Jesus Christ and we're able to understand even better how God's word works within our lives. How much more so should we be joyful? How much more so should we be dependent upon it? And so God's word has been settled in heaven against once and for all delivered to the saints. Think of what in your life is really settled forever. Very little. Very little. Looking at our nation, we're going to be celebrating our birthday here this coming Wednesday, but you look at the Revolutionary War. We're established as a nation. No need for any more wars, right? Well, all the way until the War of 1812. But then after that, there was some Mexican skirmishes between Mexico and the United States, and then the Civil War broke out. American fighting against American. And then World War I started after that. What did they call it? The war to end all wars. So World War I settled everything. No more wars. What happened after World War I? World War II. And I think man got a little bit wiser realizing there's going to be more. So you have World War II, this global war. Millions of people were killed. Five years later, the Korean War starts. I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense. So the Korean War ends, and we take a little bit of time off, about 10 years, and then the Vietnam War starts. And then out of that was the Cold War and the War on Terror, and it's never going to stop. Man, well, with man, nothing is ever settled. Well, with God, his word is settled, and it's his word that reveals himself to us, and it's through his word that we are able to have a relationship with him. It's the anchor to our soul. 
It's that which is sure and that which is permanent. I have it to turn to at all times. Now the psalmist is going to go to the magnitude of which this is settled. The only things that are really settled in our lives are that which are based upon God's word, which for the most part, the main part, is our salvation and God's faithfulness. Remember last week we saw what is God faithful to? God is faithful to his word. Never will he veer from it. Again, 90 and 91. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides or it continues to stand. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Why? Because God's word is established. This is how it's going to be. This is what man needs, and this is what I desire for him, mankind, what God desires for mankind to have. And what the psalmist is doing here, really, he's contrasting the two only ways that man is able to know God. And really, those two ways are his word and creation, God's creation. Through God's creation, his invisible attributes, we're told in Romans chapter 1, are clearly seen. Now again, look at verse 90. Verse 90 seems to be another one of those verses in Psalm 119 that God's word is not mentioned. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides, or it continues to stand. So just as God's word is settled in heaven, the effects of his word is settled here on earth. We know until that time, Second Peter chapter 3, when everything is destroyed. So, is God's word contained in verse 90? And I would say it is, because it says, you establish the earth and it abides, maybe remotely, but still, well, throughout the psalm, the psalmist has been using terms like law, precepts, and commandments. And through these, I don't know about you, but I'm reminded of the laws that was given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Leviticus and Numbers and so on and so forth. Reminded of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 6. But in verse 90 here, what he's doing, he's speaking, he's bringing creation into the, into the thought. And really, what I believe he's referring to is the original Ten Commandments. Pastor Mike, do you have Ten Commandments that nobody knows about? No, I'm not making up God's word. But if you go to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see the Ten Commandments that are listed there. And then God said, and then God said, you'll notice that term listed ten times. Commands that he gave that spoke the world into existence. And just as God's word was sure, and just as it was steadfast, and just as it was effective for achieving his purpose, we see those commandments, those commandments, because all the creation is here today, they stand today. Now take that, and then God said, let there be light, and so on and so forth. As he said that, and everything that is in existence came to be, so does his word stand for all well, it does stand for all eternity, but it stands for the whole time that all of creation is in existence. And so what I need to take from that is, again, all of the promises. 
What are the things that God has spoken to you personally? Do you grasp on to those? Do you hold on? Do you embrace the things that God has spoken to you personally? I don't know what God has spoken to you personally. We could probably read the same section of Scripture and there'd be two different things because we're two different people. God meets us and ministers to us in very different ways. But just as surely as he's given you promises, they will stand just as surely as those original commandments have stood as far as when God spoke all of creation into existence. By creation, even his invisible attributes are clearly seen so that man is without excuse. And the idea is man would look to creation and understand in this creation there is a creator and that they would seek the creator out. And then through the creator, as they seek the creator out, they would hear what the creator has to say. They would get into God's word and they develop that, or through that would be developed a relationship with, God's, with God through his word. So as the word is established in heaven, kept and protected by God, all of creation is established here on earth, kept and protected by God as well. And so I have the surety of the reality of God's word. I'm reminded of it through as I see creation, just as surely as that mountain right there, the San Bernardino Mountains or whatever the mountains are called right here, Mount Baldy Range, as surely as that's there and established and not going anywhere until God says, God's word is just as sure within our hearts as well. Verse 92 through 96, Unless your law had been my delight, I would have then perished in my affliction. So we see the seriousness of his affliction. I will never forget your precept, precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. As for my past, look at the last part of verse 93. You have given me life. So as for our past, if you're a born-again believer here today, God has given you life because you exist, but he's also caused you to be born again. He has given you new life. And so again, God created you, and he recreated you for his purposes. And it's important to know and to per, important to understand in this life, God's got a reason and he's got a purpose for you. No matter who you are, no matter the condition that you're in, no matter how old you are, God's got reason and purpose. As long as you're able to suck air, God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. As far as his present, verse 94, the last part, for I have sought your precepts. That's how I find my purpose, is to seek out God's will in my life through his word. And as far as our future, verse 95, the last part, but I will consider your testimonies. When he says testimonies, they're God's word and how God's word, or I'm sorry, how God has moved in the past. Once again, it's a big part of the reason why we study the Old Testament. It's God's word. We see how God has related to mankind in the past. We'll study Genesis and see how sin has separated mankind from a relationship with God. But God developed his people, and he, they are his chosen people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, God loves them simply because he loves them. God desires to lead his people and to dwell with his people. So we have the commandments. But there's the breaking of the commandments, and so we have the sacrifice that is necessary to cover sin. 
We have Israel as they go wandering through the wilderness. But then we have Deuteronomy as they're preparing to enter into the promised land. God reintroducing himself and preparing them to enter into the promised land. We have Israel as they're dealing with the world. Sometimes they fail and sometimes they're victorious. We should all relate to that. Sometimes their sin is just so obvious and they're walking and wandering away from the Lord, but we've all been there as well. And we see how a holy God deals with his people. Sometimes he does the hard thing, our study in Jeremiah. But we see all things were leading up to Jesus Christ and Christ came and he's the image of the invisible God. He died on the cross but was resurrected and rose and he ever lives to make intercession for us. The book of Acts as we see the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would be sent if he goes to be with the Father. And now man filled with the Holy Spirit is able to do things that he never dreamed he would be able to do. It's God who empowers us for his work. And then the book of Revelation speaks of the things that will be happening in the future, that we understand the future and the hope that God has for us, and we understand the magnitude of the blessings that he has given us. And so we see all of these things, and we realize, I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus, and nobody, nobody can cause that to be changed. 96, verse 96 I have seen the consummation of all perfection. And the idea here is, I have seen the end result of our hope. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. It it, it is a firm foundation. And so all of a sudden you see the reality of how the psalmist has been strengthened through God's word. He understands what his future is. He understands how broad and how solid that is. I mean, again, when we come to the knowledge that our future is hidden with Christ, it causes the hardship of the day to be reduced. These things are still going to hurt. We'll still be a people who mourn. We're still going to go through trials when it seems like we're going under and we're just grasping for the Lord with our very last bit of strength. But we also understand that God is going to deliver me from all. God already has delivered you from all as he has delivered you from the clutches of the devil and your sinful nature, we understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so as I have eternity that has set before me, it should give me a confidence here in my time on this planet. As we come to the next stanza, we also come to see a renewed man. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And so what has the psalmist learned when he sought the word in affliction? Well, first of all, he's become wiser, a greater understanding of God's mysteries. Look at verses 98 through 100. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. What is the effect? The effect is he's wiser, he's gained more insight, and possesses more understanding. What is the result? He's wiser than his enemies, his teachers, and his elders. Your children, I see it more in my grandchildren, if taught the word of God, will be wiser 
than their teachers. I'm not saying they're going to be smarter than their teachers, more knowledgeable than their teachers, but wiser than their teachers because biblical wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. A teacher who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ will not know the proper application of knowledge. A child who does know Jesus Christ, who's been taught in his ways, will know and understand to the degree that they're able to the proper application of knowledge. As I teach them, I remember... This may seem like a, a small thing, and probably is, but I just, God just lit a light and showed me that, you know, as, as we teach our kids, we see the results that are able to come about. My youngest daughter, Chelsea, I don't know how old she was at the time, three, four, five, something like that. We had a dog that got hit by a car at one time, hit her head, and she had uh, seizures after that. And I remember, I think it was the first seizure that she had. I don't know if you've never seen a dog that has a seizure, it looks like it's just going to explode. It just gets real stiff and shaky, and it's kind of a frightful thing to see. And this dog's going through this, and my twins are freaking out, kind of, and we're kind of getting the dog to calm down, to lay down. And then finally the dog, well, it hasn't quite come out of it, still going through it. And I'll just never forget, Chelsea, we need to pray. Proper application of knowledge. I had the knowledge. I didn't think to pray. I'm worried about what can I do for this animal and my family and all this. But just out of the mouth of babes, this, this wisdom came. And so, again, that's why we train up our children in the way that they should go. But they still need to be educated. But take that knowledge and filter it through the wisdom that God gives us. And then you have a valuable tool in God's hand. To remain ignorant is to maybe have wisdom, but no ammunition. Because, again, wisdom is the application of knowledge. If you don't have any knowledge whatsoever, well, basically then you become a fool. Look at Turn over to the right. It's not very far. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The most important word, <clears throat> excuse me, in this section of Scripture is the third word. It's a really big one. It says, if. If, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her, the idea of her being wisdom, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then, again, we get these if then promises every so often in the scriptures and the idea here is if you do this now if you don't do this then what follows is not going to apply to you but if you again receive my words and go through verses one through four then verse five then you will understand the fear of the lord the respect of god that fills your life and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk upright. He, uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Then things will make sense, especially in the midst of a perverse generation, which we live in, but the born-again believer has already lived, always lived in a perverse generation. 
but then I'll understand, I'll come to the realization of wisdom and the proper application of the knowledge, both biblical and secular, that I have. Secular, such as science, math, and so on and so forth. When will I ever use this stuff? There's just so much opportunity. So much opportunity if I gain wisdom and understand. The problem is man has knowledge and no wisdom, and proclaiming to be wise, he's become a fool. But just think of the born-again believer who's able to gain understanding and has the wisdom of God's word. Just think of how that person would be used. Matthew 16, 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The The things of the world can never be the priority. It's always the wisdom that comes from God. Going back to Psalm 119, Verse 101, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. The world has a way or a solution to every problem in the book. And these solutions at times can make pretty good sense. When you're in the midst of affliction, your thinking can easily become so clouded. And we saw with verses 81 through 88 how that happened a little bit in the psalmist's mind. The things that we go through in life, we can, you know, if you go to a bookstore, the wisdom of the world, those volumes just fill the shelves. But what the psalmist is saying here, I've restrained my feet. I've restrained myself from walking down that path. I restrained myself from the advice of the world because the advice of the world cannot do anything for the worldly. It certainly can do nothing for the godly. We are to seek the Lord in the ways of the Lord. In Proverbs 14, 12, I quote it very often, there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that makes a lot of sense. There's a way that seems pretty good, but it says its end is the way of death. It looks attractive at the beginning, but it leads down a path that is contrary to God. And again, this is going according to the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man will always lead you in a way that is contrary to God. The wisdom that we have from the Lord, the Word of God, will always lead us to God's doorstep every single time. In the midst of our marriage, our parenting, our job, our life, whatever it might be, take God's narrow way. There's so many out there taking the world's broad way, but the problem is it leads them to the cliff. Then he has learned that God is truly the one who is his teacher. Verse 120, I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. He's understanding that as he's opening up the word of God, this is God actually speaking to him. God actually teaching him. This isn't just words that we're reading in a book. This is God's instruction for a man, woman's life. This is the way man's relationship with God has always intended to be. Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verse 27? He began with Moses and the prophets and was just simply speaking them the word. What was the problem? Well, they were in despair because they thought this man Jesus was the Messiah, But he's been crucified, and so they don't really know what's going on. It says he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And what happened as he was speaking? Their hearts were burning with inside. Just as, I mean, can you imagine Jesus speaking his word to you and explaining his word to you? Well, we have really, through the Holy Spirit, 
that same opportunity as those two men on that road to Emmaus did as well. See, they were there in a confused state, but it was God's word that comforted him. We have God's word that comforts us, but again, as I said, you know, have Christ literally speaking to you, but we've got the Holy Spirit that causes that same situation. In 1 John chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And so it says you do not need that anyone teach you. And you know, you can wonder why are we wasting our time in here tonight? But what it speaks of is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So really what it's talking about is it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us. We know he teaches us through the word of God. But the reason the word anointing is brought in is because the Holy Spirit uses the avenue of mankind. The anointing as the anointing or the gifting is upon a teacher. The gifting is upon whatever, uh, an evangelist. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit can teach you as you sit in your coffee, at your coffee table in the morning and you're reading God's Word. It's the Spirit that teaches you. As you're listening to the radio, it's the Spirit that guides you and directs you. As you sit in the sanctuary, it's the exact same thing. Look at the mindset now that he has of God's Word, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Notice that words are here are his sayings, and these are morsels that are something that the psalmist savors, and he's understanding now I can even savor these things as I go through my trials. I can gain strength and, and the ability to, to move past these hindrances in my life through the sweetness of God's word. It's the sweetness of God's word, how much more so as we understand the magnitude of the grace of God. I remember as I was going through that time, as I was going through that trouble that I was, God was working in my life, I learned in the midst of it all to memorize Scripture. One of the Scriptures that I memorized was Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. And this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. I just always remembered that. I memorized it and it stayed with me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And what that taught me and told me is to put aside, God's teaching me that your life is not all about what the world has to offer. You've been crucified with me. You've died to all of these things. These dreams and aspirations that you have, that were contrary to my calling in your life, they're going to go away. I remember I had a job at, I don't remember if Verizon was called Verizon. Uh, I got called in the middle of the day and they needed me to go down there and I went down to this office somewhere in Anaheim and I can just remember as I was doing my work, just going through that verse and through that verse, been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I live, but Christ who lives within me. This life I live in the flesh, nobody's perfect. But because we live a life in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave his life for me, that I become a born-again believer through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You want something sweet? Well, tomorrow morning when you open up the Bible bus, you won your Bible and you're sitting there, just see it as sweetness unto your life. Verse 104 
Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And again, really what he's talking about here is that his heart belongs to God and God's ways. And he's understanding this. As I've veered off of the way of the Lord, I've opened the door to hardship and difficulty in my life. But as I stayed that course, God has directed my path. He's directed my path through some very hard times and difficult days. He's directed my path to very joyous times as well. It all goes together. But as we see the reality of it, and we come to the knowledge that Christ will walk every step with us, we should be strengthened in our hope today, pushing forward in all that God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. Father, once again, Lord, the psalmist said earlier, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you, that I may not veer off of your path. And so, Father, I pray that we would truly be a people, Lord, who keep your word hidden within our heart. And I say hidden as far as just to, just to embrace it into our heart so that it would achieve our purposes, but also, Lord, it would work through our lives. And so, Father, we just lift up your word and thank you for it, this day that we've set aside to honor you. And just pray, Father, that you would give, Lord, you would just continue to give us meaning and purpose within our lives. In those hard times when it just seems like we're overwhelmed, I pray, Father, that we would see, just as the psalmist did, it's your word that reminds us of the hope that we have. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And Lord, we so look forward to that time when we inhabit that place. But until that time happens, I pray, Father, that we will continue to push forward to your glory. And so, Father, we just thank you. I lift up those who've come out tonight, that you would go before them, that they would travel safely. I pray for this week you've set before us, that, Lord, we would be found faithful. I pray for Wednesday, the 4th of July, Lord, as we'll be going into homes of family and friends, some not saved that, Father, you would use our, our manner of living, our speech, and your gospel directly, Lord, in order to achieve purpose, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? <clears throat> all right, we'll continue to keep Vacation Bible School up in prayer. You see some of the decor has been put out. We're starting to move in that direction. We have an opportunity to minister to quite a few kids um, we've been getting signups online, and so just pray for what God wants to do that week. And if you're not signed up, we would sure enjoy having you come and to serve alongside of us. God bless you guys. Have a great week. As we close with this last song, make it your prayer. Make it your response to God's word that we've heard. Your love is deeper than any ocean, higher than the heavens reaches beyond the stars in the sky. Jesus, your love has no bounds.
Happy 4th of July. We'll see you Thursday.